This session is from the 2023 Shepherds 360 Church Leaders Conference. For more information, please visit shepherds360.org. Well, I'm actually impressed that so many people came to this course when there's so many excellent courses. It's really amazing. And what's amazing is how many of these courses are so relevant to the issues we are facing today. I think anyone here over 60 years of age would say something different is about this age. We've always had sin in in the world and problems, but in the last 25 years, even 10 years, the situations that have arisen, we would not even have dreamed of. And I told you yesterday of just a month ago, this man was on the news. They had him on the podcast. Uh, He's a man that's transitioned to a woman. And now he wants doctors to give him a womb, which I understand from another doctor. They're actually experimenting with this. He wants a womb and he wants to be able to have a baby so that he could abort that baby to be the first trans man to ever abort a baby. Now, is that insanity? It's just pure evil. Have you heard anything from our officials or our government or anything about this? Things are different. Things are different. So they're addressing these issues here in a marvelous way. All right, brothers and sisters. Now, I'm very, very sorry. I thought I sent in my notes, uh, very careful notes. And uh, what happened to those notes lost in the stratosphere someplace. So everything I'm going to say is in this book, If You Bite and Devour One Another. Okay? It's in this book. You can come down to our table and order this if you want, or uh, you can get it on Amazon, but if you order it from me, you get a much better price. But Amazon gives a real uh, great price for this book. Let me tell you why I wrote this book. First of all, the title. You all know where the title came from, Galatians 5.15. If you bite and devour one another, which I'll read in a moment, Biblical Principles of Conflict. I wrote this because... Uh, Part of my work is answering phone calls every day. There's hardly a day that goes by that I don't get phone calls from churches. A full 90% of all those phone calls are not to call and tell me how blessed they are and how everything's going so well and everyone loves each other. It's about conflict. So I knew eventually I needed to do this. So just in my Bible reading, I started recording... um, what, is, what, does the, what do the apostles say about conflict? Well, I found out that every single church in the New Testament had conflict. Even the blessed church at Philippi, which was one of Paul's favorites, was his crown and joy. Even they had conflict. He even names two of the people in conflict. So it's a huge issue. So let's get started here. Um, do you pray? Come stand up and pray. Father, we are grateful today for your goodness in our lives. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for the demonstration of your love for your son, Christ. We thank you for the opportunity to sit and to learn and to grow. Help us to apply the truths that we learn. We thank you for Brother Strock and his ministry. And we just ask your blessings upon the remainder of our time. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks, dear brother. All right, Galatians 5.15. If you want to open your Bible, I'm going to move through that very rapidly. Now, 
I just gave these lectures. It took four hours to go through these. I have 45 minutes. So all I can do is touch the surface. But my first point is the most important. So if I don't get to the other points, you just go by the book. Galatians 5.15, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So in numbers of polls concerning why within three years after men get a master's of divinity and go into full-time Christian work, why in five years, three-fourths of them are out of the ministry. And I just read this recently, that in a 10-year period, out of 10 men, one will be left in full-time Christian ministry. Why? Money? Sex? No, no. They just were fed up with conflict, pettiness, complaining. And in this recent poll I read, out of those, a 10, one left, almost all of them, their wives wanted out of Christian ministry. They were just tired of the pettiness. But you know, this is nothing new. Go back to the Old Testament. We have Moses. He was so tired of their complaining that he says, Numbers 11, Lord, what have I did to give me these people? Take my life. Maybe you felt that way. Well, then you're in good company. Now, why is this true? We know why it's true. When Adam and Eve sinned, sin came into the world, and the very first sin recorded is Cain killed his brother Abel, lied about it too, and we've been killing each other ever since. The whole history of the human race is a history of warfare and division. Sadly, the same thing's true in the church of Jesus Christ. We're so divided, so fractured. It is one of the consequences of sin. When Time Magazine did its 60th anniversary issue, it used one word to cover 60 years. I thought that would be technology, biology. No, it was warfare. Over 125 million people killed in the 20th century by the dictators. So it's one of the consequences of living in a sinful world. We're fighters. We fight with our spouse. We fight with our children. We fight with people in the church. It's something we need to be aware of. But here's the good news. The Bible gives us some real specific things to deal with this sin. Now, if you go through your New Testament, as I did, just in my normal Bible reading, Amazing thing about the Bible, I'm reading through John. I have probably read through John over a hundred times in my lifetime. And I'm a young, young man. <laughs> hey, no more. Hey, next time you laugh, you're out of here. Okay, I'll teach him about conflict. In my regular, so I was just reading John's gospel, which I've read many, many times. I'm reading it, and you must have the same experience. I'm reading it, I'm going, I don't ever see, I've seen this before. And you see new truths. You can never plummet the Bible. Because it comes from an infinite mind. Someone said it's full of infinities and immensities. So in just my Bible reading, I started marking down what it said about conflict. And I noticed that every church had conflict. But out of those conflicts, the apostles give us their solution. So I'm going to very rapidly show you some of the solutions that they give. Now, the first place to start, there's no question about it, is lessons in conflict from the churches of Galatia. Oh, I'm so sorry you don't have these notes. It was this beautifully done to us. All right. 
Act in the spirit, not the flesh. So my time is limited, but this is the main point. This is the main point. And it's to all these churches in Galatia. Act in the spirit, not in the flesh. Now, serious uh, conflict occurred in these churches over the Mosaic law concerning the issue of salvation and the issue of how do you live the Christian life. And this caused terrible conflict and division so that Paul had to say, if you keep biting and devouring one another, watch out, you're going to be consumed by one another. That's what we see when a church just literally vaporizes itself through conflict. R.C. Cole says, this was more fitting to wild animals than to brothers in Christ. Now, here is the principle. We'll go into it in a little depth. Here is the principle. I don't think you, you, you'll waste your time trying to take notes. I'd rather you not take notes. And everything I'm saying is in this book. You will get 10 times more in our very short time together. Here's the principle. If you get this, you can go to sleep. When facing conflict, be controlled by the Spirit, not the flesh. Display the fruit of the Spirit, not the works of the flesh. All right, we're going to come out now in more detail. Now, Paul responds to interpersonal conflict and erroneous views of Christian living by saying, walk in the Spirit. That's his answer. Galatians 5 is one of the most important chapters in the New Testament about the Christian life. How do you live the Christian life? Well, first of all, be controlled by the Spirit. Let me just summarize what he says in this fifth chapter. But I say walk by the Spirit. That is a metaphor for live, behavior, conduct. Walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. But if you are led by the Spirit, three times he says this, you are not under the law. Now listen to this, verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, or since we live by the Spirit, let us walk, and this walk means step by step, following, let us walk by the Spirit. So his answer to the conflict and the issues is live your life by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Now, we know we're walking by the Spirit because this could be very abstract, couldn't it? We know we're walking by the Spirit when we see the fruits of the Spirit displayed in our conduct in our inner attitudes especially, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. What's the last one? What do you need most of all in conflict? Absolutely. Because in most conflicts, we lose control with our anger, our criticisms, our bitterness of heart and mind. These Christ-like attitudes promote right attitudes, Godly conduct, healthy human relationships when you have the fruit of the Spirit. So what the apostle is giving us here is an objective test, an objective way to know, are we in line with the Holy Spirit? And remember, the Holy Spirit will always guide you through the Word of God, right? If you display these Fruits, these virtues, you're walking with the Spirit. Spirit's your guide. Now, second, <clears throat> don't be controlled by the flesh. 
Much of the contentious infighting and unnecessary division that plagues our churches today is a result of believers who live according to the flesh. Now, in verses 19 to 21, this is very interesting. He lists eight social sins, the very sins that tear us apart. Listen to what they are. Now, the works of the flesh are evidence, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. All right, you know those. Most of you here aren't sorcerers. Did you know that in the works of the flesh, eight social sins follow? And in 2 Corinthians 12, 20, he lists almost the same social sins. Both churches. So they must be very common. Enmity. Hostility, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. These eight social sins are of the flesh. And the Holy Spirit, in leading you, will never lead you into fits of anger or hostility to your brothers and sisters. The Holy Spirit is absolutely opposed to these vices. So, we have another objective test. When you get into a fight, maybe with your spouse, let's start in the home, with your children, you can know if you're handling the situation by the power of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Holy Spirit, or if you're walking in the flesh and acting with these horrible vices in your life. You know, it's interesting. Christians may not smoke or chew or go with the girls that do, and they're so proud they don't do this and that, but boy, they can be vicious. They can be vicious when they come after you, when they're defending God. So, the first point from the churches of Galatia is, are you walking by the Spirit? Are you displaying the fruits of the Spirit? Or are you walking by the flesh and displaying the vices of the flesh? You can know right away when you get in a fight. I'm going to give you a quick illustration. So this is a true story. So in this church, Good Bible Teaching Church, they had an evangelist come in for the week. Preached the week. At the end of the week, the evangelist said that anyone who wanted to improve their evangelism and witness better, come up and we'll pray together. It was not an altar call for, being, for salvation. Just remember that. And many people came up. They, they knelt down and they all prayed that the Lord would give them a greater spirit of evangelism. They'd all be witnessing to their neighbors and their relatives and not just be silent. It was beautifully done. No, no big appeal or anything. The organ playing for a half hour. At the back of the church, one of the prominent members stood up and an earshot of everyone started yelling and saying, this is unscriptural. It's easy believism. We don't do altar calls in this church. We've never had altar calls. And uh, other people, I mean, this became verbal. This is verbal. Other people started defending the evangelists. Other people said, no, I agree with this brother. We should never have had this man here. Uh, it's a manipulation of the people, and this caused a huge fight in the church. And it was started by one of the most prominent men in the church. 
defending the Lord, of course. This spread out, and it became a big debate in the church. Fortunately, it didn't divide. This man threatened to leave the church. He threatened that the leaders were not leading, and uh, maybe they needed to be reconsidered as leaders in the church. Okay, that's, that's a real situation. So my response to you is, in light what we just taught, how should he have handled this? Okay, how should he have handled this? Prominent member of the church. He really disagrees with altar calls, which is questionable whether it was even an altar call. He's very upset about this. Other people are now very upset with it. How should they have handled this? So let's use this as an example of uh, acting out Galatians 5. All right, let me give you several ways. One, pray. One, pray. Well, what would the Holy Spirit lead you to do? What would the Holy Spirit lead you to do? Not sure. You're not sure? No. What did I just say about break? You got it. At least he was honest. He wasn't lying, right? You got to say that. Yes, the Holy Spirit will lead you to pray to get guidance from the Lord so you don't open your big mouth and get in a lot of trouble. That's exactly what the Spirit. Prayer is an essential part of walking in the Spirit. This angry man took things into his own hands without talking to the Lord first. So you get in an argument, you get in a fight, you're very upset, you better pray first. In fact, I would say, say to the other person, this is not the time to discuss this. I need to pray. Because always, I know this in my own life, as soon as you start praying, the Lord speaks to you. Hey, your attitude's rotten. He'll bring scripture to your mind. So the first thing you should have done is pray. Second, and this is very important, we don't often think of this, check your attitude and conduct. Check your attitude. First thing he should have done is said, I, I'm very angry right now. I'm in a fit of anger right now. I'm yelling out at the back of the church so everyone can hear me. Bad attitude, real bad, no matter what the issue was. Not the appropriate time. You check your attitude because that's what we see in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, etc. Self-control. His attitude was out of control. It was the flesh. Altar calls are not inherently sinful. A free reign of unrestrained anger and hostility towards your brothers, that is sinful. We know that. So, first thing, check your attitude. There was a very famous uh, Christian leader, uh, head of an international organization worldwide. And at this conference, this leader was asked, what is your job, your most important job over this international audience? And he said, my first job, now get this, this is powerful. My first job is checking attitudes. Isn't that a good one? Checking attitudes. What about in your local church? Group of elders, group of deacons, whatever you are. You check attitudes. You don't just check doctrine, you know. You check the attitude of the church, the, the, the culture of the church, the atmosphere, the spirit of the church. His spirit was wrong. Second, third, act in love. Well, what's the first fruit of the spirit? Love. Thank you. Love would make you think of the other people first. Right? Love is... Selfless, self-sacrificing service to others. <clears throat> now, 
what I'm going to read to you, you might think I made this up, but I actually got it from Philippians chapter 1. What should that angry brother have said about the evangelist? Here's what he should have said, according to Philippians 1, 15 and 17. I don't agree with altar cords, but I know that the evangelist preaches Christ crucified to many lost people. For that I am thankful to God, and I will get down on my knees and pray. The Spirit will use him in many more conversions of people's life. Now, where you say, where'd you get that from? In Philippians 1, Paul was in prison in Rome, and there, this is hard to believe, except that it's not that hard to believe. Christian teachers, teachers of the word, were teaching to, to make Paul envious and to cause him pain. Can you believe that? That's the pettiness of all of us. Preachers can be very petty with other preachers. I'm just telling you the truth. Paul says, that's okay. I'm not going to sue them. As long as Christ is preached. That's his attitude. So what? They don't like me. So what? They preach. So I, I will, I will uh, uh, be pained in, in their preaching. And their criticism of as long as Christ is preached. Didn't think of himself. This brother was all about himself. Fourth, seek counsel from spirit Filled believers. Acts 20, 28 says that the Holy Spirit placed you elders in the church as overseers to shepherd the church of God. So the elders of the church are Holy Spirit placed. He should have gone and met with the elders first and gotten counsel from them. And by then he'd probably be calmed down anyway. Fifth, treat others with kindness and gentleness. You know, it's really amazing how much the New Testament says about gentleness. It's really amazing. Check it out, your, your concordance. There was no gentleness here. 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26 is a passage I've quoted to myself hundreds of times. That's not an exaggeration. Even though my wife's not here, it's not an exaggeration. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponent with gentleness. Isn't that a great passage? That should guide us in our relationships, shouldn't I? You know, if you want to know about relationships, don't go to a course on relationships. Just read your New Testament. It'll tell you about human relationships in a way that other books will never be able to do. So this man missed Matthew 18, he missed Matthew 5, about going to a brother, you're in disagreement, he chose the wrong time. He took the wrong method. He should have been patient, met with that man alone, and asked, don't start with ever accusations, never start with accusations, and asked the evangelist, why did you do that? You know we don't do that in this church. He may have learned something, and then the evangelist may have learned something. If they had met alone, taken the time, something good could have come out of this. Instead, he acted immediately, in the flesh, in the flesh. So, when you're in conflict, even in the home, not just in the church, act in the spirit, not in the flesh. And we have objective tests to tell us if we're acting in the spirit or in the flesh. All right, second, lessons in conflict from the first Jewish churches. Lessons in conflict from the first Jewish churches. 
Control the anger, control the tongue, control the criticism. Some of the best counsel we get on conflict and marriage, apply this to your marriage, is from the book of James. Let every person, every person, that means all of you, be quick to hear. Okay, now listen carefully, three points. This is great for human relationship. Quick to hear. So we just had a man in our church at 50-some years of age got married for the first time. Now, he's a big-time talker. So I, I wrote him about a week before his marriage, and I said, now, listen, I've, I've talked to a lot of couples, and the biggest complaint women have of men is that they don't listen. Now, I'm sure no one this would be true here. So I wrote him and said, I want you to be a great listener. I don't want you to feel you have to talk first. I want you to listen. Your wife will love that. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> if I ever go into comedy, you're going to be on my front row. No. I, I actually heard you in the auditorium. All right. Let every person. Now, get this. Quick. Did I say slow? Quick to hear. That's really good, isn't it? You're in a conflict. Close your mouth and say, I want to hear what you have to say. And really listen. People can tell if you're really listening. I often, in our church, someone will come. Could you come up be an example for yeah. You're not bitter, are you? You know, you're at the, fr the front door. For some reason, people will unload on you at the front door what their problems are. You're a pretty big guy. Be careful so, what oh, you say. Oh, <laughs> I am. I look up to him. But you look down at me. Yeah. All right. So someone will be mad. They'll come to the front door. I'll, I'll say something like this. Just come over here. We'll, we'll go in the other room. Why don't you sit down? I want you to tell me what has happened here. And I'm going to look him right in the eye, and I'm going to listen. I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to hear. And I, don't, I might even ask you again. Could you clarify that? Right away, here's what's going to happen. The steam's going to come out of him. He's going to listen because I listen to him. This works in your marriage, too. It only took me about two decades to figure this out. All right, now, brother, I want to help you back to your seat because yeah. I, I know you're an older man, and yeah. I don't want you to. <laughs> it's, it's your birthday? How old? You can tell me. 39. 30. Lord, forgive him. He knows. Oh. I better get moving here. We're going to get in more trouble. All right. Now, please listen to me. Quick to hear. Quick to hear. Don't reverse that. Slow to hear. All right. Slow to speak. When you don't listen carefully, you're quick to speak because you think you've got all the answers already. You want to move the thing along a little bit, right? No, no, no. Slow to speak. Now, here's the big point because he picks up on it, slow to anger. Aren't you glad God, the Bible says God is slow to anger. All right, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. In other words, you're not going to do God's work with your anger. You're going to mess things up real badly. So James is giving us very, very important information here. The most important biblical principle for handling conflict constructively constructively, because it can turn out to be constructive, is to control the passion of anger. Most disputes wouldn't be nearly so unpleasant and unprofitable if people would just control their anger. 
And in our anger, we say harsh, irrational things that really hurt people. Dads, be very careful with your children using anger or venting your anger. Can really hurt a child. They, they have emotions just like you do. The interesting thing, that's what they remember in life. An angry father. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 says, Be angry, but do not sin. In other words, don't let your anger get out of control. There is righteous anger. There is righteous, good anger. The problem is with sinners, it gets out of control right away. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, nothing I maintain so constantly gives the devil an opportunity as a loss of, of control over anger. But not only do you have to control your own anger, often in conflict, you deal with other people's anger. So I want to give you a verse comes to my mind many, 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 many times. It's Proverbs 15.1. I hope you all know Proverbs 15.21. A soft answer turns away wrath and a harsh word stirs up anger. That has saved my soul many, many times. So I had a man, he calls me up on the phone, and his granddaughter has been put out of the youth group singing group. They, they put her out, and he calls me. He is angry. I can just feel the heat on the phone. And he says, that youth leader, I told you never to hire him, and you should fire him in a spot. My granddaughter's not coming back to church. He was angry. Well, it's his granddaughter, and he's got her in church, and now she's been put off the, the youth group choir. So I lowered my voice so he could hardly hear me. I said, Don, I'm a grandfather. I know how you feel. This hurts. Hurts big time. But you've got to follow the discipline. She should not be on that youth choir. Her reputation at school is terrible. Very sinful reputation. It's hypocrisy to have her. And I just tried to calm him, but I lowered my voice. I talked very slow and gently to him. And I could hear him almost weeping on the other side. I said, Don, we have to let the discipline work. We'll talk to her. But the youth leader did the right thing. When you get into a fight, lower your voice. Lower the pressure. A soft answer. This is really true. A soft answer turns away wrath. A harsh word? You stupid fool, your family, you and your whole dog, I hope they leave. I don't think that would have been very profitable. <laughs> All right, control the tongue. Control the anger, control the tongue. When conflict starts, there are literally biological changes that happen in your head. Literally, the head throbs, the blood boils, the adrenaline rushes, and the mouth turns into a weapon of mass destruction. And we say things that we will be sorry for. If we could control the anger and control our tongues under the Holy Spirit's control, our problems would be much less. And we can constructively come to some conclusion. Listen to what James says. If anyone thinks he's religious, most of you people that think you're religious, that's nice, and does not bridle his tongue, you religious people, but deceives his heart, this person's religion, I'll get this, is worthless. I didn't write that, it's in the Bible. If you can't control your tongue, your religion's worthless. Well, first of all, you haven't operated in the Holy Spirit. That's a problem. The unholy 
war of words. Listen to Ephesians 4. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up edification. Whatever comes out of your mouth should build up other people. That fits the occasion that it may give grace. This is a very unusual statement in Paul. That it may be give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. In other words, the Holy Spirit of God is holy. And he is sensitive to division in the body because he goes on to say, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit has sealed us as one body. And when we say awful words and cutting words and divisive words, it grieves God the Holy Spirit. He's very sensitive to our words. Be careful of inflammatory language. Be so careful of it. You've got a problem. You've got an issue. So the, the, the remember the, the, the music wars back in the 90s, the music wars? So I remember I was with a, a dear brother and a sister. They're a little bit older. And uh, the man says to me, he says, that music at our church is rock and roll. <laughs> well, the problem with me is that my head turns red. You can see right away. That was very unkind what he said. And I was angry at it. And I said, Richard, that is not a true statement. They are all godly people, saintly people. They are not. This is not rock and roll. Then some of the young people said, the music is like a funeral service. I feel like I died. <laughs> no, it's not like funeral service. Inflammatory emotional language doesn't help anything. Doesn't help anything. Exaggerated inflammatory language. By the way, it's not truth. It's not truth. Form of force, false, falseness. Now control the criticism. Control the criticism. This is all under James. James 4 says, Do not speak against one another, brothers, for the one who speaks against a brother in a judgmental way that's not proper judges his brother and speaks evil against the law and judges the law of God. So I'm out at my friend's farm, and when I was out there, I, I, I saw these chickens running around. They had feathers missing, cuts, and blood. I said, what is wrong with those chickens? And he said, they like to peck at one another. And I thought immediately, yeah, that's like the people in the church, they love to peck on one another. Straighten them out. But James says we're not to speak against one another. What he means is this, James prohibits any kind of slanderous or degrading talk against a brother or sister. This includes derogatory remarks, false criticism, defamation of character, putting people down, making false accusations. D.A. Carson says, if you're going to put people down, put them down on your prayer list. <laughs> now, there is proper criticism. There is proper criticism and correction. We're to do that for one another. But the question you have, is that your job or is that the elder's job? And if you do criticize, is it with the right spirit? And is it constructive? And should you be doing this or someone else? And do you have to do this? So as leaders in a church, you do have to correct people. You have to because things get out of control and people need correction. They need to be told what you're doing is wrong and it's going to hurt other people. But it's so much how you do it. How are you to do it? In the spirit, by the fruits of the spirit. 
Not I'll kick you in the face if you don't listen. Now, I want to do one more church, okay? The churches of Galatia, and then we looked at the Jewish churches under James. Now, one more. This is an important one. Curse this thing. Okay, okay. All right. Hey, come up and put this on me, right? Whatever it is. Hello. Please. Please, yes, please. Could you move faster, please? Okay, all right. Okay, thank you. All right, number three, number three. Thank you, young man. Lessons in conflict from the church in Philippi. This one's really important. All right, act in humility, not pride. Okay, here is the church at Philippi. This is an exemplary church. Paul says, crown and joy. This is a church that gave financially to his ministry. They sent Epaphroditus to him in Rome. They sent money for the third time, at least we know. This is a church sound in doctrine. It had elders, it had deacons, it had many industrious workers. But it had conflict. The answer to conflict here goes along with our first point. Paul says this, do nothing from selfish ambition and pride. Selfishness and pride, the twin sisters of all conflict. But in humility, get the key word, key word, because it can be applied to Christ. In humility, you know, in 1 Peter 5, he says, all of you, dress yourself in humility. Did you ever see that? 1 Peter 5, 5. All of you, elders, younger ones, clothe yourself in humility. I was at a church, it was all young people, and I told them, I'm going to tell you how to dress. I mean, you couldn't believe the response. You're not going to, yes, I'm going to tell you how to dress for church. No, no, you're not going to tell me. And other young people, no, no, you're not going to tell us how to dress. I said, the apostle Peter says, Clothe yourself in humility. Oh, I thought that was funny. <laughs> I wasn't going to tell him how to dress. <laughs> it probably stoned me. But the apostle tells us how to dress. Clothe yourself in humility towards one another. It's a one another command. All right, so here the same thing. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. That's impossible. Oh, next verse tells us how. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, advantages, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. All right, what is Paul doing here? This is very important to the Christian life. What is he doing? He's setting attitudes. He's checking attitudes. Your attitudes are wrong. Pride and selfishness will get you nowhere. In humility, don't be preoccupied with yourself all the time, but think of the interest and advantage of the other people. Why? Because this is the mind in Christ who humbled himself and gave himself for us. So let's say I had a thousand pianos uh, in a room, and I'm going to tune the pianos all to the same, right? And I start tuning one piano to the next. Do you play the piano? Do you play the piano? You do, okay, then you would know. If I start um, tuning one piano to the next piano to the next piano, what's going to happen? 
it's going to be out of tune. But if I take a thousand pianos and I tune the thousand pianos to one tuning fork, bing, they'll all be tuned. Well, what Paul is saying is all of you tune your attitude to Christ. Not to one another, not to the elders. Tune your attitude to Christ. And what is that? Humility and selfless service to others. That's what the rest of the verses show. In fact, some say the greatest or the most shocking verse in the Bible is, he humbled himself. How can we as creatures stand by the cross and be proud? We're to copy Christ's attitude and we are to be humble to one another. And this is displayed in one of the most powerful passages, which I don't hear enough preaching on, John 13. And he laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel. He began to wash the disciples' feet, their dirty, stinky feet. When he had washed their feet, he said to them, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, your dirty, stinky feet, only slaves do that, not the master, you ought to wash one another's feet. Humble service to one another. You know, these guys were big shots. They were. They're always fighting. What were they fighting about? It was a thorn in our, our Lord's side. Who's the greatest? When people look at us, who do they see as the leader? The head honcho. Jesus said, you know, you won't be a head honcho until you first learn how to wash feet. If I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you, the selfless devotion of Christ. Pretty hard to argue with a person like that, isn't it? A person who actually listens to you, humbles themselves, and wants your very, very best instead of defending themselves all the time, consumed with self. Well, there's so much more you can find it if you bite and devour one another. But I have a book to give out to you all. Can we do that? Can we just do as people leave? As people leave, I would like you to take this book as you leave. Um, I'm sorry we didn't have more time, but you get the point. In conflict, we have answers. We have real, but you have to do it. And that is walk in the Spirit. Walk in step with the Spirit, because the Spirit will always lead you to the rule of God's Word. And don't walk in the flesh. We know how wicked it is, and it just causes problems. Let's pray. Lord, help brothers and sisters here, because we're all prone to fight, and we're all prone to act selfishly and proudly. But help us not to do this. Help us to be like our Lord Jesus Christ, who got down on his knees and washed the feet of his disciples. Help us to this end, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. And I want to say this has been... This has been such a wonderful conference, such a wonderful conference. And you know why? There's a beautiful spirit here. It's the spirit of the Lord. Thanks for listening to this session from the 2023 Shepherds 360 Church Leaders Conference. This material is copyrighted and may not be altered or sold. For information, please visit shepherds360.org.